So good to have Marcus and, and Bridget Constantine with us. And they serve with a missions organization that is bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to North Africa. Would you welcome Marcus as he comes to bring God's word today? Thank you, brother. Thank you. Lord bless you. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Greece Assembly. Good morning, good morning. I, I felt impressed even during our worship time, so I, I think we'll do this together now briefly. So many of the songs that we sang about together talked about how Jesus is our king, right? He's worthy, he's our king. And so I want to begin this message uh, just from a, a posture of humble surrender to our king. I'm going to do that on my knees and I'll invite you, if you would like to join me uh, on your knees before King Jesus, I think that would be an appropriate way that we could begin and ask him to open our hearts and speak to us. If, if you'd feel Holy Spirit prompting you, you're welcome to join me uh, on your knees. Father, this morning we do declare that you are worthy of it all. And that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, right now, those of us that are on our knees and some maybe who aren't kneeling in our hearts, we're, we're declaring that you're Lord. That our hearts belong to you, that we want to hear from you today. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us through your word. Inspire us, Lord, with the stories of what you're doing around the world and help us, Jesus, to be people who live on mission. Help us to be everyday missionaries, those, Lord, who live sent for you as disciple makers everywhere you send us. We thank you for this, and we pray it expectantly in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I um, shared a message at another with another church family and felt prompted to do, to do that same thing and afterward I had somebody that did not enjoy that and he said hey I did plenty of kneeling in my old religious background and I don't want to do any of that anymore so I hope that didn't trigger any of you but I do believe I do believe that our king Jesus is worthy he's he's worthy of something simple like kneeling before him but he's worthy of so much more than that he's worthy of our lives he's worthy of our hearts he's worthy of our everything so 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 blessed to be with you here today and to open up God's word together and when I asked Pastor Pat what the theme was for this this Sunday focused on mission he shared with me that the theme was or the theme is Jesus Christ the hope of the world Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. And you know, as we think on that, isn't that the theme of every Sunday? Isn't that the theme of every day if we're living our lives on mission for our Lord Jesus? Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. And you know, there's a great book on that subject, and you might want to jot it down. Actually, it's 66 books, right? Written by over 40 different writers over a period of almost 2,000 years in three different languages on three different continents. But the book has one author, one divine author, the Holy Spirit. And so every time we open it, we can be expectant that our teacher, Jesus said you have one teacher, 
the Christ, and one who will guide you into all truth, the Holy Spirit. So every time we open his word, we can be expectant that our teacher, the Holy Spirit, is going to speak to us. That's where I'm at today, and that's where I'm asking Holy Spirit to bring each one of us today. So as we think about Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, where else would we go but Jonah? The book of Jonah, right? That's what I thought. Jonah chapter 1. Why don't you open up with me? Because Jonah, believe it or not, is a powerful little book tucked away toward the end of the Old Testament that has a lot to say about living on mission for our Lord. And so in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, we're going to begin looking at Jonah's mission. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah's mission. And Pastor Pat mentioned with you or shared with you that uh, my wife Bridget and I are in relationship with a mission that is bringing the good news of Jesus and making disciples and equipping disciple makers in North Africa. That's actually my, uh, my shirt today is from North Africa. Uh, brought it back after our most recent trip to there. But as we were thinking about a second ago, each one of us really, if we belong to Jesus, then we are on mission for him. And like Pastor Bob was saying at the start of the worship set, we have the same mission. We have one mission. We have one commission. And we find that in a really clear, succinct way in Matthew chapter 28. And you'll be familiar with it. Verses 16 through 20. And what I love about those verses, in the, in the beginnings of those verses, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, Jesus gathers some of his disciples And the amazing thing is they're seeing him after he's died on the cross, after he's risen back to life again. They're seeing Jesus resurrected with their own eyes. Some of them probably have even had opportunity to touch him and hug him and kiss him on both cheeks, I'm sure. And that was a little Italian joke for any of you that were wondering. Just toss it in there, but you know. Our friends in North Africa do greet each other with a kiss on both cheeks, so it's just wonderful. It's like being at home. But after Jesus shows himself to these disciples, risen from the dead, there's this kind of crazy verse in there, but it gives me a lot of hope. And it says in the beginning of Matthew 28, 16, I'm going to open up and show you quick here. It says that some fell down before him and worshipped him, in verse 17, but some doubted. And you just kind of wonder, like, huh? Still? still doubting, you saw Jesus die on the cross, now you see him raised to life again, still doubting? That gives me a lot of hope. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm afraid. And sometimes I doubt, and sometimes I wonder. But what happens next is so beautiful. Because Jesus doesn't say, doubters over here, and everybody else over there, I'm about to give you a great commission. This whole bunch, he gives the same mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and a precious promise, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So many precious promises, so many wonderful truths in there, but we see so clearly that our mission is to make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, 
baptizing, helping them meet Jesus for the first time, teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded us. And that's really what our mission is. If we have said, yes, Jesus, you're my Lord, I'm following you, then as Jesus teaches us things, we teach other people things. As Jesus teaches us to obey, we teach other people to obey him. It's that beautiful pattern. It's just passing on what our friend Jesus and what our Lord and leader Jesus is teaching us, passing that on to others with the promise of his presence that he'll always be with us. That invitation to relationship is in there too. And Acts 1.8, you probably know it pretty well, but Acts 1.8 says, Jesus again speaking to his disciples, says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, the city where you are right now, in Judea, the, the larger area, the surrounding area, in Samaria, where no one else wants to go. That was Samaria of the time and to the very ends of the earth. And Pastor Pat was sharing with me just before this time of worship a little bit about the way that the church family here at Greece Assembly responded right in your Jerusalem, right in your home city here, right in Greece, when the, when the power was out because of those storms and how you became the hands and feet of Jesus right here in your own Jerusalem, loving people like Jesus loves, sharing about who he is with the people of your city. That's so awesome. That is such a powerful picture of being a witness for Jesus right in your own Jerusalem. And I know that as a church family, you're thinking and you're praying and you're asking the Holy Spirit, how, Lord, are you asking us to impact the greater region, our Judea, and Samaria, the places maybe where no one else wants to go. And might I suggest today that Jonah was called to a Samaria before there was really that idea for the Jewish people. He was called to a place where he did not want to go, this big, bad, ugly city called Nineveh, right? Jonah was called to a Samaria. So in in Jonah, back to Jonah now, Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3 Let's look a little bit more at Jonah's commission and Jonah's mission and how this all unfolded. How did he do with responding to the commission that God gave him? Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, opposite direction. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Uh Uh-oh, not doing so well so far. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent such a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And this is the first place you see Lord in all capitals there in your Bible. This is the first place now where Jonah... Actually, that's not true. I don't know what I was going to say. Let's rewind on that. But this is a place where the Lord's name, the covenant name, Yahweh, is declared. The covenant-keeping God, the God who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who was and is and is to come, this God is speaking and moving and acting and working. He sends this storm. Verse 5, the sailors respond. All of them were afraid. They each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. Sailors are crying out to their gods, to their idols. They're trying everything they know how to do to pray. But Jonah is asleep. The prophet of God, the one who's supposed to represent the one true Lord of heaven and earth is asleep. And it just makes me wonder, I just have to ask, are we asleep? Are any of us asleep today? 
when we think about this Mission Sunday and we think about all these beautiful faces and flags around this room today, there are still in the world today unreached people groups. And the Joshua Project would say that there are about 6,700, 6,700 unreached people groups in the world today. That would mean a people group with a unique language or culture that has less than 2% professing followers of Jesus, unreached people groups in the world today. But there are also unengaged people groups in the world today. And what that means is not only are they unreached, but these are people groups that don't have any workers there who, who live there, who are sharing the message of Jesus in the heart language of the people, who are willing to, to stay there for the long haul if needed, and who are there with the purpose of looking to see a disciple-making movement of God's Spirit, the kind of thing that we're seeing Jesus do all around the world. And by the way, just a quick testimony on that, because I love to stir your faith. One of the dear brothers that we're in relationship with, who we partner with, he, over, over these past four years... God has sent him on an assignment to teach the principles of disciple-making, how to make disciples the way that Jesus did. And he's been doing that all over the world in different places, in the Middle East, in in South America, in um, Africa, many different places around the world. And in four years, now listen to this carefully. This is a mighty testimony of our awesome God. In those four years, he has seen 400,000 disciples of Jesus raised up through those trainings. And he goes in and gives them the tools that Jesus gave his disciples. And then they go out, indigenous followers of Jesus, they go out into their relational networks and they make disciples the way that Jesus made disciples. And that's the way that they're seeing these awesome movements around the world, including in the Muslim world, including in Samaria's around the world, where very few might want to go. You know, one thing that Sad might be a good word for it, but I wonder in part if that word asleep that we talked about with Jonah might be fitting here. When we look at the professing followers of Jesus, the church as a whole, around the world today, 95% of the funds that come into churches are spent on ourselves, our buildings, our programs, our internal affairs. And less than 1% of the funds that are given at churches around the world are spent on reaching the most unreached. Are we asleep? You know, in the United States, the cost, if you do the math, and I'm not an accountant, but I have a lot of them in my family, if you do the math of how much money comes into the church and then how many new disciples are made in the sense of baptisms, that's one way you can kind of measure how many new people are being baptized as professing followers of Jesus. The average cost per baptism in the United States is $1,550,000 per baptism. Are we asleep? Are we asleep? You know, it's kind of cool, our friends in Africa... It costs less than 10 cents per baptism there because of how many people they're seeing come to know Jesus. Nearly 70%, this is another interesting statistic that I found, that nearly 70% of professing followers of Jesus have never even heard that there are roughly 2 billion people in the world today that have never heard about Jesus. It, and it, it's an interesting thing. I think it just has to do with we, we haven't heard I don't think it's because we don't want to know. I don't think it's because we necessarily even have our fingers in our ears. But guess what, friends? Today, you've heard. Today, you know. So no more sleeping. We can't be asleep anymore. We're hearing about what God's doing in the world. We're hearing about the need in the world. 
And so it's time for us to respond. It's not okay that less than 1% of what we give is going to reach this over 20, you know, this 28% of the world that really needs Jesus. Interesting quote from Lou Engel. He's written a book called The Jesus Fast. And he was speaking about Jonah. Excuse me, he was speaking about Jonah. And he says, as we learn from Jonah, you can either run with the word of the Lord or you can run from it. I hope today we'll run with the word of the Lord. We'll take the good news and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to help us really live it. All right, let's look at verse six, the response that the captain brings to Jonah. The captain went to him and he said, how can you sleep? We're hearing that today, friends. How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we'll not perish. And, and this calls to mind for me that beautiful passage in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2 where Jesus said to his disciples, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field, right? This captain, I don't even think he knew who he was really talking to or who he was asking Jonah to call out on. But we know as followers of Jesus, we know that we can call out on the Lord of the harvest and ask him to send out disciple makers into his harvest field. And don't be surprised, friends, if he asks you to become the answer to your own prayer. Don't be surprised if he asks you, friends, to begin to hear his call and to begin to live on mission in a greater way than you ever have before. Well, in verse 7, they cast lots, the sailors throw some dice to try and figure out why this is all going on, whose fault it is, comes to Jonah, and they turn and they ask him an interesting question in verse 8. What do you do? What do you do? And in verse 9, look how Jonah responds. He answers, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And in verse 10, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Now that just strikes me like Jonah. I mean, he knew he was running away from the Lord and he told them so. He wasn't even afraid. He wasn't even ashamed. He wasn't even trying to hide it. He's like, yeah, I'm running away from the Lord these days. And these men, these sailors, rough-and-tumble sailors, knew that wasn't a good thing when they found out who the Lord was that he was running from, the one who had made heaven, the one who had made earth. This is not good. This is not good. And it, it stops and makes me pause here and say, have we stopped to ask Jesus what he thinks of our plans? Have we taken the time to stop and ask him? Better yet, Would we be willing to surrender our well-made plans to Jesus and in prayerful dependence ask the Holy Spirit for his strategies, for his plans, asking him to show us how we can live on mission for him? Well, verses 11 to 12, the, the sailors are like, what can we do? Jonah says, throw me in. You know about this. And in verse 13, it's an amazing display of the compassion of these sailors because they're not willing to throw Jonah in. They try and try with all their might to row to land. And it's just this, this, this mind-boggling thing to me that the prophet of the Lord has no compassion, that he's trying to run away from the people that God wants him to go and share with. But these sailors that don't know God have enough compassion to try with all their might to protect Jonah and to save Jonah. Well, here's verses 14 to 16. Then they cried out to the Lord, the sailors now, 
cry out to the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. This is Yahweh, the covenant God. You notice they're crying out to him, huh? Oh Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. Do you see that? And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They made promises to him. Even though Jonah's being disobedient and he's running away from God's mission, Holy Spirit is still using his disobedience to draw people to faith in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? God's mercy, God's wonderful heart, God's grace. What a wonderful, faithful God we serve. And now we see these sailors who used to call out to their own gods, little g, idols. Now they're calling out to the one true Lord. And here as I think about Jonah's disobedience, it really makes me think of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because Jonah is pretty much a good opposite of everything that we want to be as a disciple of Jesus at this point, right? A mark of a biblical disciple of Jesus at the time when Jesus called his disciples to follow him. There were a few things that disciples knew they were in for if they followed a rabbi. And this wasn't just for Jesus. It was for any disciple following a rabbi. But Jesus was a rabbi at this time, and so his disciples knew that this was part of what it meant to follow a rabbi, to choose to follow Jesus. And the first was that their rabbi was their ultimate authority. What he said went. The rabbi had the ultimate authority. The second was that you would obey your rabbi without question. It's kind of an outflow of that. If your rabbi asked you to do something, you would do it. Rabbi, by the way, is the same, way, the same word for master. And disciple at the time, same word equivalent to slave. So your rabbi became your master and you became his slave. You would serve him. You would follow him. You would do whatever he said. So your rabbi is your ultimate authority. You would obey him without question. You would memorize his teaching because they believed at that time that if you wrote down his teaching, that might get damaged or that might be destroyed. But if you committed it to your memory and then you shared it with others who would commit it to their memory, then that would ensure that the teaching of the rabbi would be preserved and be protected over time. So you would memorize his teaching. You would agree with his interpretation of the Old Testament. Again, whatever he said about the Old Testament went. And that's a good point for us, by the way, because whenever we read the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, we want to be thinking, what did our rabbi, what did Jesus say about this? And the teachings of Jesus become the pair of glasses that we wear so that we can understand what the Old Testament is all about. We see that Jesus fulfills what the Old Testament was talking about. We're going to see that in the life of Jonah, too. But you'll agree with your rabbi's interpretation of the Old Testament, and then finally, you'll imitate his actions. Imitate his actions. And literally, this would be to the point where if the disciples were following behind their rabbi, they would jockey, they would try to get as close to him as they could so that they could walk right in his footsteps. And they believed that the dust kicked up from the rabbi's footsteps. If you were covered in that dust, the dustiest, that's a word, the dustiest disciples were the most honored because it meant they had followed most closely in the footsteps of their rabbi. And those five things of what it means to be a disciple are still true for us today. Jesus is calling us to see him as our ultimate authority, to obey him without question, to memorize his teaching, to take it in and hide it in our hearts so that we can share it and we can live it, to agree with his interpretation of the Old Testament and to imitate his actions. 
Remember, John writes and says, anyone who claims to follow him must walk as Jesus walked, must follow in his footsteps. That's exactly what he's talking about there. We have this call to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And Jonah pretty much did the opposite of all those things, right? He ran, he disobeyed, he refused to listen to God's word. But thankfully, this isn't the end of Jonah's story. Look now in verse 17. It says, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. The Lord provided, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now remember, this message is all about Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, right? And I'm telling you that this message of Jonah, this life of Jonah, and this book of Jonah illustrates this in such a powerful way. And here's a very clear point where we're going to see the connection. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, right after the feeding of the 4,000, do you remember when Jesus fed first 5,000 hungry people, and then later on he fed 4,000 hungry people? Does that ring a bell? Two different times? Well, the 4,000 hungry people, it's really interesting. If you trace the path that Jesus traveled at that time, those 4,000 were actually a mixed group that included Gentiles. And so Jesus feeds first this group of 5,000 Jewish people, but Jesus, even though his mission at that time was to come to the lost sheep of Israel, and he makes that very clear, he also includes this group of 4,000 Gentiles, these nations, these people beyond Israel. And if you look into the Gospel of Mark, how Mark records this, he even includes this little racial slur that the disciples toss in. You know, Jesus says to them, feed these 4,000. And they say, you want us to feed them? And literally in there, that's what the disciples are saying. They're saying, these dirty Gentiles. Way back at this time, Jesus was thinking about the people groups of the world because God has always been a God of the nations. He chose Israel, this little, small, weak nation, to show his powerful love. And through Israel, he promised to Abraham, your offspring will be a blessing to to all nations. When Jesus comes through your line, all nations of the world will be blessed. And there's the, all these little beautiful pictures are hidden throughout. But right after the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus has these religious guys that come up to him and they challenge him. And they say, where do you think you get the authority to do these kinds of things? And these Jewish religious leaders are coming to challenge him. They haven't challenged him on all his miracles, but they do challenge him when he starts feeding Gentiles because they're not into that kind of thing. They're not into going beyond what they feel is comfortable, you know, with their own kind of Jewish club at that time, some of the religious leaders. Obviously, there were the first disciples of Jesus were Jewish guys that eventually really got it. Praise God. And God loves the Jewish people. But these religious leaders are saying, ah, 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 that's not how, it, how it's supposed to work. So they come and challenge Jesus, and they say, where do you get the authority to do these kinds of miracles? And he just fed these Gentiles. And Jesus answers with a very interesting thing. He says to them, I will not do a miracle for you to prove my authority to feed Gentiles. That's what he responds to them with. But he actually says to them, there will be one sign that you'll receive. And it's the sign of Jonah, the sign of the prophet Jonah, who was in the whale for three days or in the big fish for three days and then came out again. This is the miracle that you're going to see the Son of Man do. This is the miracle that's going to be the one for you. 
So interesting, Jonah called to go to this bunch of Gentiles in Nineveh and says, no, 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 I don't want to go there. I'm running the other way. Jesus feeds these 4,000 Gentiles and the religious leaders come and say, no, 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 that's not how it's supposed to be. And Jesus says, remember Jonah? Remember how Jonah was in the, the, the fish or the, you know, the sea creature for three days and then he came out again alive? That's what the Son of Man is going to do. Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. He'll be dead for three days. He'll be buried, but he's going to come to life again so that all nations, all people groups can hear about who he is and what he has done and have the opportunity to know him and love him and serve him and be his disciples. Isn't that amazing? Tucked into the life of Jonah. Wow. Tucked into the life of Jonah. I've been really enjoying, just to toss this out for you, for any of you that enjoy reading there's a book called The Merged Gospels, which takes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just shows kind of the unfolding story in chronological order. It shows where the different gospels overlap with different stories. And it's really a powerful tool as you're looking at the disciple-making strategy of Jesus and saying, how did he do this? Because he didn't just have the 12 disciples. It's amazing as you look at that. Jesus had groups of disciples in many different cities that he was preparing and raising up for the time that he would send them out with a mission to make disciples of all nations, right? The same mission that we have today. So it's been a beautiful and really fun adventure for me to be looking at that and learning from the disciple-making strategies of Jesus because I want to be like him. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my best friend. And I want to follow in his footsteps. I want to be just like him. So Jonah gets swallowed by this whale, right? Or this sea creature. Because actually, as we think about this for a minute, I'm going to get scientific with you for a moment. Because some might challenge and say, come on, whale, three days, is that even possible? You know, that whole deal. And if we're thinking science for a minute, there's a few sea creatures that could very easily swallow a man whole. There's a couple whales that could do it, blue whales or sperm whales. And there's even a couple sharks that could easily do it, a great white shark or a whale shark. And this word that we tend to think of as whale, sorry, veggie tails, it actually just means sea creature. So it could be a whale, it could be a shark, it could even be some kind of dinosaur sort of thing. I mean, who knows, right? God can do what he wants. And if it was a whale, then whales have kind of chambered stomachs, sort of like a cow does. And so Jonah was probably in this first stomach of the whale, most likely, if it was a whale. We don't really know. But so what he has to do is kind of dodge the stuff that's coming in every now and again. But Jonah's in this first stomach of the whale. And part of the question is then, you know, how did he have enough oxygen inside this whale for three days? You know, and there's certain sea creatures that when they come up, they take in enough oxygen. All of that science, I'm not sure. But I do know that if God wanted him to be alive three days in a whale so that he could give a picture of what the Son of Man was going to do of being in the earth three days and come alive again, he can do what he wants to do, right? Our God is a miracle-working God. So there's some science here, and there's probably some miracle stuff going on here. But Jonah, as he's in the heart of the whale, does something, does something beautiful, does something very interesting in chapter 2. And I wonder, I mean, I don't know how genuine Jonah's heart is, to be perfectly honest. Is he just sick of the fish guts, and he's just sick of dodging, and he's just sick of <gasps> feeling like he's taking his last breath? I don't know. But for whatever reason, Jonah has a change of heart. And here's Jonah's prayer. And I'm just, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And I'll pray that prayer, just like Jonah did. We'll pause throughout, but... He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. No, no, just kidding. And he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. 
and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I'll look again toward your holy temple. I'll remember you, Lord. I won't forget you. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. That sounds great. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, to the earth beneath it barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And now listen to these last two verses. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Wow. Isn't that a powerful verse tucked away here in Jonah? Those who cling to worthless idols. When we just think, I just have to have it my way. I just have to hold on to the things that are comfortable or that make sense to me. Or I just have to make sure that I have all my T's crossed and all my I's dotted. It just has to be my way. When we hold on to that, our own way, to our idols, we forfeit the grace that could be ours the unlimited, extravagant, powerful, amazing grace of our God. When we let go of whatever things we might be holding on to, Jonah may have in mind these sailors that were calling out to these other gods, these other idols, before they met the one true Lord there on the boat, right? But, but whatever we hold on to in the place of embracing Jesus becomes that idol to us. And if we cling to worthless idols, then we forfeit the grace that could be ours. We can miss out on the abundant blessings, the wonderful grace that Jesus wants us to experience when we're living with him, when we're following him, when we're walking in his footsteps. And look at this last verse here in verse 9. I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed or what I have promised, I will make good. You know, this is his, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. And his final phrase here says, salvation comes from the Lord. And boom, something shifts. The whale vomits him up on the shore, right? The Lord speaks to this fish, and it lets Jonah go. You know what is so amazing? That little verse, the very end of that verse 9, some of you might know a little bit of Hebrew, and you might recognize this. But what he says exactly there, the first word that comes out of his mouth at the end is he says, Yeshua! Salvation comes from the Lord. Yeshua is the Hebrew version of the name of Jesus. So Jonah, at the end of his prayer, here in the belly of the whale, says, Jesus! And boom! Everything changes. The whale spits him out onto the land. And now he's back on course. He's back on mission. He has this point where he declares the name of Jesus. Now, he didn't even know that the Messiah's name was going to be Jesus, right? Jonah didn't know that. But here, tucked away in the book of Jonah, we see the power of the name of Jesus. Isn't that so awesome? Jesus, Jonah says, and boom, everything changes. I just love it. Because when we are surrendered to the person of Jesus, when we're following in the footsteps of Jesus, everything changes. It's no longer about our strength or our excuses or what we can do in our own strength or stirring up enough faith or somehow trying to be enough. We are not enough. On our own, we're lost, we're hopeless, we're in the stinking belly of some kind of sea creature, and we need to be rescued. 
But today can be a day for each one of us to let go of whatever we think we're holding on to, whatever might be getting in the way of us following Jesus, totally unabandoned, totally unashamed, just loving him, serving him, living for him. Today can be the day for each one of us. And, and some of us have professed faith in Jesus before, and today's a day for us to say, Jesus I want to be a disciple of yours. I'm going to follow in your footsteps. I want to obey you without question. I want to memorize your teaching. I want to be the kind of disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples so that we can live this mission and fulfill this mission that you've given us, Lord. And for some, it might be the first time that you say yes to Jesus. Let today be the day. Cry out to Jesus. Trust in him. Believe that what he did on the cross for us in dying and rising to life again is enough for our salvation. There's nothing we need to add to it. There's nothing we can take away from it and there's nothing that we need to add to it. Jesus paid it all. And here Jonah, just love it. At the end, he declares, Yahweh saves, the Lord is salvation, Yeshua. And the whale spits him out on the shore. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. All right, there's a lot of hope There's a lot of hope here now in Jonah's story that's been introduced by the name of Jesus, and there's a great shift that's going to happen. But in in chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord reminds Jonah of his mission. So look at this for a moment. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Very similar to the first time. The first time God said to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But here, I think the Lord is hoping to train Jonah that, Jonah, your job is not to deliver your message, but your job is to deliver my message, the message I give you, right? Do you see that? Okay, my mom recently shared this weekend, she was a speaker for a women's conference, and she said a couple things that I just thought perfect for this part of the the message, the hope that's in Jonah's story. If you're going through a test, it's an opportunity for a testimony, If you think you've made a mess, that just might become your message. And when you think you've missed it, it's God's invitation to join him on mission. If you're going through a test, God's preparing for you a testimony that you can declare of his goodness, of his faithfulness. If you think you've missed it, he's inviting you. Live on mission with me. It's not too late to join him. And again, just when we've made a mess like Jonah, he's inviting us to live for his message, to live and let his grace be the thing that's the banner over our lives. So what's the mission of your life? What's the mission of your family? What's the mission of your marriage? Again, is it just about collecting stuff for yourself, getting as comfortable as you can, and then dying? I hope not. I hope that even in your marriage, for those of you who are married, you think about What are we for as a couple? How are we going to make disciples together as a couple? How are we going to fulfill the mission of Jesus together as a couple? For those who are single, how am I going to maximize this time in my life to make disciples for Jesus? How am I going to maximize this time in my life to fulfill his mission? For those with families or children, how am I making disciples in my own family? How am I helping my children encounter Jesus and love him and learn to walk in his footsteps? How as a family are we making disciples outside of our own home? Like Pastor Bob was saying, thinking about our neighbors in our city, our Jerusalem, our Judea, again, even the Samaria, the place where no one else wants to go, and even to the ends of the earth. That same commission is for all of us. So we all want to be thinking, Jesus, how can we engage in your mission? All right, three 
and verse 3 of Jonah. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And we all want to say, finally, finally. But friends, how many times, if you watch the tape of my life, how many times could you say, finally, finally, so many times, so many times. And so Jonah gives me hope. This broken man that God still loved and God still worked through gives me hope. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Finally, and he went to Nineveh. And this verse says that Nineveh was such a big, important city that a visit to see the whole thing, to speak to the whole thing, would require three days. Did you catch that in verse 3? So verse 4, Jonah gives this message. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And that's it. That was Jonah's message. It's not very hopeful. It's not very loving. There's no, like, turn or burn. It's just burn. You know, like, he has no invitation. There's no hope. It's like, Jonah, whose message are you giving, you know? Remember, God said, give him the message I'll give you. I don't know. We don't exactly see whether that's the exact message that God gave Jonah, but I kind of wonder if he might have just been giving them a little bit of what was on his heart toward Nineveh. But all that said, in verse in verse 5, it says this, the Ninevites believed God, and they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And verse 6, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, he covered himself with sackcloth, he sat down in the dust, and then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This king that didn't know God seemed to know more about God's heart than Jonah did. But Jonah's message, interesting thing here, do you notice it says he preached one day in a city that would take three days to visit, but the news started to spread. He made the announcement, and it started to spread, and it started to spread, and it started to spread. And finally, verse 6 says, the news reached the king of Nineveh. And this is exactly, it's kind of a cool picture of this multiplication, this strategy of Jesus, where we are teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You remember that, Jesus said? So the strategy is we share with someone, and we're teaching them to share with others, and we're teaching them to share, and it's this multiplication effect. As we live as disciples, we just share what Jesus is teaching us, and then our friends share what Jesus is teaching them, and them, and them, and them, and them, and pretty soon the news might even reach the king of Nineveh, Right? It spreads. It spread through this three-day city, which is amazing, spreading through relational networks. They knocked on their neighbor's door and spread the news, or they, they ran over to let their grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, mom, dad know. They let through their relational network this message, this important message from God spread. And that's this multiplication idea that Jesus wants us to have as disciple makers too. Verses 7 to 9, you saw that the king is urging them to Call on God. Urgently call on God. Give up your evil ways and your violence. This is, 
Prayer and repentance. The people of Nineveh are calling out, asking for forgiveness, turning from their sinful ways, even fasting to show their grief over their sin, to show that they're, you know, God, we're so sorry in this way for what we've done. And remember Acts 1-8 again, where we said Samaria was the place where no one wanted to go? Do you remember that? We mentioned it a couple times. Well, again, Nineveh was Jonah's Samaria. He did not want to go there. And there's a little hint where where the king tells the people to give up their violence in verse 8. Give up your evil ways and your violence. It's, it's kind of, the, it's a big understatement, I would say. But he's highlighting something there that was a mark of the Assyrian people. Nineveh was the, the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were enemies of the people of Israel. So Jonah's called to go to these people that are the enemies of his own people. And even beyond that, these were not really just nice enemies, you know, kind of like we're giving each other the silent treatment, we're not talking to each other kind of thing. The Assyrians in battle were known for their vicious violence, for wiping out whole cities. Their Assyrian kings have left inscriptions that said things like this after they would take out a city. They would say, I destroyed, I devastated, and then I burned with fire. Whoa. These were the kinds of guys that would cut people's heads off, that would torture them just because they could. These were the terrorists of Jonah's day. And Jonah was called to go to the capital of this terrorist nation and deliver a message from God. So think about this for a minute with me. What if the Holy Spirit said to you, I want you to go to Mosul. I want you to go to the capital of this ISIS takeover region. Iraq, Syria, right in the middle of this region. I want you to go there and deliver a message for me. Now do you kind of feel what Jonah felt? Now Jonah's response was not the best, but maybe we kind of understand where he's coming from. This was Jonah's Samaria. And sort of an interesting thing is the Assyrian territory of that day included modern-day Iraq and Syria. So almost literally, Jonah went to this region that we're talking about today. I, I don't know about you, but I think that would be a Samaria of today to go to the Muslim people groups of the world, the North Africas, the, the places where maybe no one else wants to go. Just let that sit for a minute. Wow. Now maybe we understand a little bit more of where Jonah's coming from. I recently read a beautiful article by a leader in Africa, and he was talking about our response when there are terror attacks and there's violence against believers or, you know, there are Muslim people groups or there's people that hate the people of God and they're responding with violence. And he said, think about that, that great terrorist, Saul of Tarsus, and think about the work that Jesus did in his life when Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus. And think about how that terrorist became a great disciple maker who went as a missionary, who raised up disciple making teams that went all over the earth for Jesus. Every time we hear about this in, in the news and, and as our hearts maybe are feeling heavy with the darkness and the sin and the hate and the violence, let's remember the hope of what could happen when our Lord Jesus steps into the scene. So Jonah brings this message, and here we see Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. Hope for unreached cities like Nineveh through prayer and through revival. Hope for people like us, people like Jonah, right? And at the end here of this passage, the very last chapter, we see Jonah's bad attitude really hasn't changed. 
And in verse 10, it says that when, when God saw, or excuse me, this is still in chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, and he didn't bring upon them the, the, the destruction he had threatened. Remember, the sailors had compassion when they tried to row Jonah to shore. Now the Lord has compassion on this city. Jonah, not so much, not so much. In verses 1 to 3, he starts off by whining. And I think this might sound familiar. I'm just going to put that out there, okay? Verses 1 to 3, he starts off by whining at the Lord. And the Lord responds with a question in verse 4. And Jonah in verse 5 responds to the Lord with pouting. He doesn't even give the Lord an answer. You can ask me a question, but I'm not going to answer you, Lord. I'm going to give you the silent treatment. That was really what Jonah was doing to the Lord of heaven and earth. Verses 6 to 8, God gives him an object lesson. And he causes this plant to grow up, this weed. And this weed gives Jonah shade. And Jonah loves his weed so much. Okay, well, hold on. Let's keep walking forward. Anyway, he does, this plant. And he loves it because it gives him shade from the hot sun. And then God just sends a little worm, and it shrivels up, and it dies. And Jonah's so angry that the, the weed died, that the plant died. He's so angry, he can't believe God would do this to him. And the Holy Spirit is speaking in that case through Jonah's circumstance. And I just want to toss that out to us again, to be people that always have an open Bible and a listening ear to the Holy Spirit, because he speaks through our circumstances. There are, there are things that come across your path in life because the Holy Spirit wants to say something to you. Jonah sees that, obviously, here through his experience. And then in verse 9, the Lord asks Jonah question number 2, and Jonah gives the Lord answer number 1. He finally answers him. And let's look at that quick. We'll jump in right there. So God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. So it's not really an anger. I mean, it's not really an answer. It's kind of venting. Jonah's venting at the Lord now. So he's whining, he's pouting, he's venting at the Lord the God of heaven and earth. And in verses 10 to 11, the Lord challenges him. And let's read those verses. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And many cows as well, many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God's compassion is in such sharp contrast to Jonah's hard heart. God says, I even have compassion on the animals in Nineveh, Jonah, and you care more about a dead vine than you care about this whole city of people whom I love. Jonah's name actually means dove, dove. And in Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse 15, there's this beautiful picture where Solomon and his wife are using this expression of dove's eyes to say how much they love each other and how precious they are to each other. And I think that too isn't a coincidence that God says, Jonah, dove, precious one whom I love, are, are you gonna get it? Are you gonna respond to my invitation? Are you gonna respond to my challenge? And you see that we see the Lord's greatness. The Lord has the final word, but we don't know Jonah's response. And I believe that's on purpose too. Because the Lord leaves us with a question. Dove, my beloved, precious one, are you going to respond to my challenge to live on mission? 
are you gonna seek to really be a disciple of mine who walks in my footsteps? My people need hope. And Jesus Christ is the hope of unreached villages and cities and people groups. Jesus Christ is the hope of people like you and me and Jonah. Final thing I just wanna leave you with as we think about following Jesus, one of the things that I've gotten in the habit of when I read his word is I, I hear, but I also want to do. I want to obey. And so two little simple ways that I do that is I think every time I learn something from God's word, I try to make an I will statement. I will fill in the blank. And I'm going to challenge you to do that today. What's the thing that the Holy Spirit is asking you to do in obedience to his word, in obedience to what you've heard Jesus say to you today? I will fill in the blank and think about that and write it down somewhere where you'll see it. And then the second part of that is I will share with. Because remember, Jesus said part of our commission is teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So when Jesus teaches us something, we want to get in the habit of sharing with others what Jesus is teaching us. That's really what this great commission looks like in part, obeying Jesus and sharing with others what he's teaching us. In a way, it's that simple. In a way, it's that huge, right? I will obey Jesus. How are you going to obey him today? I will share with. Who are you going to share with today? Something that the Holy Spirit has taught you. I'm going to pray for you right now, but if you have a little notebook or maybe you want to use a corner of your bulletin, I'll encourage you, let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart of how he would have you obey what you've heard from his word today. And then at the very end of this time, my wife and I, after I think we'll have some time for prayer, but in the back of the, of the sanctuary here, we have some little sign-up sheets if you would like to receive prayer updates of what our Lord is doing in the Samarias of the world, at least some of them. We would love to have you pray with us and hear about what Jesus is doing there. And you can sign up for those in the, in the back. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. And even like you said to Jonah, my dove, beloved, precious one, are you gonna hear my invitation? I pray, Lord, today that we would hear your invitation, that we would be people that hear your word and obey, that we would be people who hear your word and share, that, Jesus, we would be willing to count the cost and really live on mission for you, to see our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the ends of the earth fall in love with you, Jesus, as we've had the opportunity to. You are such a good and gracious God. And so today we say thank you. Thank you, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you, Jesus, for being three days in the grave and thank you for coming to life again. Thank you for pouring out your lifeblood for us on the cross, Jesus. Thank you for doing it all and now inviting us to follow in your footsteps, to walk with you. We pray this together in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.